It's episode 749. It's Friday and Sarah's back with more newbie questions. We went to the airport, all the rigmarole of getting there, queued up, packed our bags, back home, back to bed. And I woke up like another four hours later, checked my woo, and it didn't even register the fact that I got out of bed and went to the airport that <laughs> oh night. Lord. It was like you had a perfect night's sleep. Like you always were hanging out of my head. Have you any idea what this is? Un jour sans, a day without. That's what the French say. Yeah, oh. a day without, Ooh, speak, a day without those. Speak French to me. <laughs> <laughs> if my mom comes out on the Saturday group spin, hasn't ridden her bike in like it's 10 years. It's a crack years, though, isn't it? Oh, it might be <laughs> crack to be whining at the start. <laughs> whining the bid-ons. Sarah, it's Friday. It's rolled around again. That was fast. It was so fast. The weeks are flying by. Anthony, through the magic of the internet, you are actually talking to me from the Ross. I'm, I'm leading the Ross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that positive mental attitude. So this is pre-recorded. So Anthony is currently riding his way around beautiful Ireland. And yeah, as you, as you said, you're in GC Jersey, are you at the moment? Yeah, stage, stage trees today and I won the first two stages. <laughs> 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 I took all the mountains bonifications as well. So, well, it's even more magical because stage three is the stage that I am going to go and watch you at in Castle Bar. So. <laughs> but it was a hectic week of preparation getting ready for the Ross. It's a while since, obviously I rode Ross Moon, but I don't know, the extra day just seems to add more stuff to pack. Obviously, it adds more stuff to pack, but it just seems like it doesn't add one-fifth more. It adds like 400% more stuff that you need to pack and prepare and contingencies and get spare bikes ready, trying to pack nutrition. It's so different to being on a pro team and everything just gets done for you. There's always something that goes wrong. I have to say, you're quite organized. I wish you were that organized in life, but when it comes to stage races, you're pretty nailed in, but something always happens at the 11th hour and you're like panic stations going down to the bike shop and trying to have work rounds. And yeah, it's it, there's always at least 20 minutes of high stress, high drama. Well, I've gone with some new slippy tires for Ross this week. And that was maybe a little bit inspired by that conversation I had with Dylan Johnson during the week. I'm rocking the black ink wheels on my factor, the black ink 45s. And it seems like the fastest tires for them at the moment are the Continental GP4000S TRs. And there's a rolling resistance. I think it's called Bicycle Rolling Resistance, if you Google it, website that Dylan put me onto. Really good. That Whoever runs it's total nerd. And he dives deep into rolling resistance, efficiencies, puncture levels on all the top tires on the market. Brilliant resource. That's pretty cool. I wonder, is that Gator skin tire covered in it? Because I saw somebody online the other day saying that he had just installed the Gators for his wife. And I know that you have a big problem with the Gators because even though they're puncture resistant, they're quite dangerous, aren't they? Slippy, slippy. I don't know who uses them still. They're puncture resistant, but you can't you can't position those two like they're equals. Like they're puncture resistant, but they're quite dangerous. It's like they're not equal things. Like puncture resistant, yeah, it's a small bit of an advantage. Most tires have some degree of puncture resistance. It's not like we're riding around on balloons. Yeah, like <laughs> stuff is generally puncture resistant. They're meant to be puncture resistant. They're tires. Uh, but like, but they're also quite dangerous. Like that's a massive thing that they're quite slippy. So I don't know. But I don't I think. Don't I don't think. I don't think people realise how dangerous they are. They're having the convenience of no puncture for this unknown factor of them being a little bit dangerous. Anyway, I digress because I want to talk about Dylan Johnson really quickly. 
This interview is so fascinating to me. And even though I'm not really a numbers girl and I'm not really into the tech, Dylan has everything completely dialed. The information that he gives on this, in this podcast, about tire choices, aero, equipment, chains, aero positioning, all of that kind of stuff is really, really cool. And even if you don't like geeking out in that stuff, it's very interesting to hear him talking about it. I'm not sure if I'm getting better at podcasting, but three of my favorite podcasts have been in the last two weeks. We had Rob Britton two weeks ago, Michael Barry last week, Dylan Johnson this week. Been three really enjoyable conversations from my end anyway. And I always know when I enjoy a conversation, it typically endears and engenders some positive feedback. So hopefully everyone enjoyed the Dylan Johnson podcast because it was something I was definitely proud of. Okay, let's crack into the questions. We have loads. Question one, Anthony, I've heard a lot of cyclists complaining about SRAM's chains being super slow and bad quality. Why is this, do you know? Is it the metal, the shape, etc.? Also, what are we talking here watts-wise or is there an actual fear of safety, i.e. the chain snapping under, let's say, a sprint effort? And that's from John. I kind of wonder with this one myself, like if John here knows that there's a problem with SRAM chains. Like, how does the SRAM product lead engineer not know that there's a problem with chains that are SRAM? Nobody seems to like SRAM chains. Now, full disclosure, I am running SRAM chains on my gravel bike and my mountain bike at the moment because they came as standard. I was running one on my road bike up until last week where I moved across to a ceramic speed UFO chain, which is close to the fastest chain there is out there. You're looking at really small margins. The chains aren't going to snap. They're not made like they're chains. They're they're durable. You know, unless you're putting some crazy track wattage down, you don't have to worry about that. And I haven't seen studies on them being more likely to snap. I think it's the design of the chain is inherently slow and it's losing watts. You're not talking huge watts either, but in this crazy game we're playing of incremental marginal gains all over the place, it is a gain a lot of people are choosing to go with. Considering people are spending 900 euro for ceramic speed jockey wheels, which are given like a 1% to 2% watt improvement, yeah, they look cool as hell, and the bike sounds better, and the pedals feel nicer to move around because it's like has this zing, zing, zing feeling off it. But in terms of actual watts, the ceramic speed jockey wheels don't give out a lot of watts. Probably 7 watts extra for changing from a SRAM chain over to a ceramic speed UFO chain, it's quite a lot for a much more modest investment, like 100 euro will get you a good chain. Okay, amazing. So if as a newbie cyclist, I'm going in and I hope we haven't, John hasn't frightened anybody off that might be going in to buy a new bike because Shimano is quite difficult to actually get your hands on at the moment. Am I right, Anthony? If that would be the... I think that's eased a little bit now. Okay, Yeah, okay. that was more of a pandemic. Shimano didn't bump up their production when everyone else did. SRAM bumped up their production a huge amount like i think a hundred percent increase in capacity shimano only went to 10 percent planned increase in capacity and then when we had that covid surge you couldn't get shimano anywhere but i think that's all kind of back to normal now anthony has a his postgraduate was in economics so i'm just trying to stop him here from going into supply demand conversations <laughs> Stages Cranks and Stages Dash Bike Computer are today's show sponsors. I've used Stages Power Meters for the better part of a decade, first on my road bike, then on the tandem, and now off-road on my gravel and mountain bike. 
I really trust the consistency of the data that it gives me. It's been proven to be plus or minus 1.5% accurate. They're also super light. I think it adds about 20 grams to the weight of my crank. And a feature I love is the battery is so replaceable. It's a small little watch battery that you can pick up in any convenience store. I'm pairing my Stages crank with a Dash L200 bike computer, which I absolutely love. You can use it in portrait or landscape mode, which is kind of cool. The battery is so, so good. It'll last between 10 and 18 hours, and I've tested this depending on the mode you use. So it's going to last even my longest events this season. And the maps feature is absolutely amazing for when you're out on the trails. The color coding makes it virtually impossible to get lost. So if you're looking to get your hands on a Stages crank set or you're looking to get your hands on the Stages Dash L200, which I'm using at the moment, all the information you need, it's over on stagescycling.com. The link to that is in today's show notes. Okay, let's move on to question number two. Anthony, I saw a thread from one of my favorite writers on Twitter, Matteo Jorgensen, where he spoke about what he did to bring himself up a level within the pro peloton. He says he reinvested all his wages into testing altitude camps, nutritionists, aero equipment, etc. I was totally blown away by his dedication, of course, but surprised at how he had to foot the bill for all of this himself. Are these guys not the giants of our sport and treat it as such. Is cycling a poor sport? And that's from Adam. Everyone was blown away by this Matteo Jorgensen tread. This isn't anything that I wouldn't have expected. And it's not anything I wouldn't expect in any sport. If you're ambitious in the sport, you're going to reinvest back into yourself. Not just sport. Like, so you look at us with the podcast. It's like almost everything we make from the podcast, we're spinning back into the podcast to try and bring better guests, better editing, you know, everything that goes into bringing a better podcast. So um, startups do it all the time. You know, I've been involved in so many startups I love and nearly all the cash is going back into the company. So I'm not sure why everyone was so shocked that Matteo Jorgensen was reinvesting back into himself. Every amateur rider in the world that's ambitious kind of does this as well, where they make a few extra quid and they're like, okay, I'll buy the arrow socks, so I'll get the tires. So for me, that's like thanking the postman for delivering the post to kind of Roy Keane quote, like you're meant to be reinvesting back into yourself. You're meant to be continually growing. So yeah, he's getting no kudos from me from that one. But you can see why people were a little bit alarmed at this revelation. And movie star, his current team, actually got a lot of hate online about this insofar as they're the ones that are reaping the benefits of the sponsorships and all of these big deals uh, that they get and all the exposure that they get from all the grand tours and the racing all year round. Why should Matteo have to pay for himself to up a level? Now, Matteo is an, an amazing rider. He's just now a super extra amazing rider after all of this investment into himself. But I agree with you in Paris, Anthony. He is looking at himself almost as a startup and he's reinvesting all his money back into himself. And that's an investment in his future. But like this stuff's expensive, like aero tunnel, aero testing, altitude camps, nutritionist, aero equipment. It's super, super expensive above and beyond what's needed in the world tour. So it's not given to everyone. Like every single rider in Jumbo Visma hasn't got the same attention to detail that Jonas Vindergaard and Primoz Roglic get. It just wouldn't be possible or necessary to have your domestiques going through 
that amount of rigorous testing, training, equipment tweaking. So they use their phones on the top guys in the squad. Now, if you're one of the up-and-comers and you're not one of the top guys in the squad and you want to bridge that gap to being one of the top guys in the squad, it makes sense that you would reinvest into yourself. Like, you can be damn sure next year he's not going to be paying for that stuff himself because he's now at that level. He's now one of the top guys. Well, you know, two, three races doesn't make you one of the top guys, but he's made a big step up this year. He's definitely not Roglic level yet. But yeah, for me, it's just, it's obvious. And I don't know the hoopla about it. No, I agree. And just one more point in that. I, reading a couple of articles about it last week and all of the top athletes in all of the different types of sports, basketball, NFL, everything, they all spend their own money on like personal chefs, nutritionists, all of that. It's not, this is not new at all. Okay, question number three. Love the show, Anthony and Sarah. My question is riding etiquette. When you're out on a training ride and a person keeps getting dropped, what do you do? Does the whole group assemble? I mean, it does get a bit tiresome having to wait around in the cold for someone. Sorry if I sound completely heartless. And that's from Anna. This is a hard one. And we we struggle with this on the Saturday ride as well, because the group ride shouldn't be about the strongest people just hammering each other at Darwinian survival of the fittest, where you've just two guys tearing strips out of each other at the end and there's 40 people dropped. That's not what it's about. It's meant to be fostering for newcomers to arrive. So a newcomer can come in and then the speed of the group is determined by the slowest person in the group. That's kind of the the romantic philosophy of how a group ride should operate. But there also needs to be a base level for your fitness. Like if my mom comes out on the Saturday group spin, hasn't ridden her bike in like Some 10 crack years. Though, wouldn't it? I'd be mighty <laughs> cracked to be whining at the start. <laughs> whining the bid-ons. But like if you haven't ridden your bike in 10 years and you show up on a group ride, it's an unrealistic expectation for the whole group to creep along at 11 kilometers an hour for the whole day every time you get dropped. The entire group's going to get hypothermia. So it's a little bit of the group leader's responsibility to do some preliminary vetting to make sure someone is, you know, at a minimum standard that's going to make the day, not miserable for everyone else. And as long as you're at that minimum standard, people should look out for you in the group. Yeah, there needs to be communication, I think. If somebody is showing up and because I've been at that end, I've been the weakest on the ride for a long time. Was, was that past tense? <laughs> oh, I'm getting a little bit better. Thanks, Millie Anthony. You always just know how to tear me down. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's I think communication at the beginning of the ride and just saying to people, look, here is where we're going. If you get dropped, we'll drop you a pin when we get to the coffee shop or do you know your way home? And being completely upfront and honest to people saying, look, if you keep getting dropped, everyone's going to start getting cold. We're going to have to start rolling on. And I don't think anyone will really mind. Do you think that this person is completely heartless, Anthony, Anna? No, I think like you're saying there, there's easy strategies where you can say, look, we're going to, we have a route where we ride kind of easy together for 40 minutes or so. And then it splits into fast group, slow group. But if you were too slow for the slow group at that point, you know, there's plenty of shortcuts to the coffee shop, which, you know, if you communicate it, like you said, you could easily say, hey, we're, we're going back to this coffee shop. The slow group's maybe going to be a little bit fast for you. So here's a cheat route to the coffee shop that's going to get you there a little bit faster than everyone else. And you're still part of the group and part of the community. And it gives you that space to progress the following week where now you can hold on to the slow group. Now you can move into the fast group. 
And one more point on that, I think that that is a fantastic strategy for clubs is to have your fast and your slow group go out together and split off for, I think you probably do an extra 15 kilometers and it's a much hillier route than what the slow group does. And then we all reconvene in the coffee shop, have the banter and then all roll back home together. I think it's a a super way to do it. Nailed that formula. Anthony, do you ever have off days on the bike? These unexplained days where you've no legs, even though the day before you might have been flying it and the following day you're going great and you haven't changed anything up like your nutrition, your diet, your sleep, your hydration. Have you any idea what this is? Un jour sans, a day without Oh. That's what the French say. Yeah, oh. a day without, Ooh, a speak, day without those. Speak French to me. <laughs> <laughs> a day without those good feelings, good sensations. Yeah, every bike rider in the world gets these days. If you're having a crazy amount of these, an unexplained amount, blood tests are a good way to have a little bit of a look under the hood and see what's actually happening and see if there's something that needs deeper, further addressing. But it, like, it's difficult to say, haven't changed anything nutrition-wise, diet-wise, sleep-wise, hydration-wise. Like that's a leap because unknowns to yourself, you have. Like you haven't eaten the exact same thing at the exact same time and you haven't slept the exact same amount at the same quality and the same hydration level. So these are constantly things that are in flux and they're interacting with each other. Like how we sleep doesn't happen in a vacuum. How we sleep affects how we metabolize food and you know our ability to pull nutrients from it as does our hydration levels. So when one thing is off, it can cause sort of these chain reactions. And the best way to do it is to have a little look under the hood. But you can also listen to your body. And so few people are doing this now. Joe Friel was on the podcast around Christmas time. And Joe had this pretty rudimentary idea in his uh, Cyclist Training Bible book. But there's a printout in the morning that you do and you go through like a series of questions and you rate yourself from one to 10 on these questions. Like, how did you sleep? How motivated are you today? Your muscle soreness today? And after you answered his whole questions, it gives you a score and you keep track of these scores. And if you look back then and you cross check your bad days with your scores on this, it does start to give you a little bit of an insight. Obviously, there's techier data ways to do this now where you can use whoop, and aura ring and check out hrv and stuff like that but that old school observation method definitely shouldn't be discounted either yeah i was just going to add to that as well to say that if you journal if you're finding you're having these days you know repeatedly maybe start a journal of your food your sleep your recovery your training and use that Anthony, I did the podcast with Dr. Sean Allen about wearables and how they're not completely accurate and can give you wrong information. And she always advises before you even look at your information from your whoop or your aura that you jot down a few notes about how you're actually feeling and don't let that device determine how you train or feel or your mood goes for the rest of the day. So I totally back up what you say. Maybe take some notes on your previous day or how you're feeling that morning. I think that's brilliant. Sure, remember we were going to Colombia and it was the start of COVID and we'd went to the airport and then they're like, oh, well, do you have a, I think you needed a letter or a vaccination cert or something. They had just changed it like six hours before and we we weren't informed. So nobody on the plane knew that you need these letters to fly. So basically the whole plane couldn't travel. So we went to the airport, all the rigmarole of getting there, queued up, packed our bags, back home, back to bed. 
And I woke up like another four hours later, checked my whoop, and it didn't even register the fact that I got out of bed and went to the airport that <laughs> oh night. Lord. It was like you had a perfect night's sleep. Like the eyes were hanging out of my head. Yeah, you need to be very careful with the information you're getting from those devices. Okay, this is from Draymond One. I've always used mountain bike shoes with cleats in the sole. I can get off and walk around and not be walking on cleats. I never understood what's the advantage of the road style. If you're going bike packing, can't say enough how good mountain bike shoes are. Last year on that Chamois Time Tour, I went from Granada to Biarritz and across to Girona. I didn't actually bring any shoes. I brought some flip-flops with me, lost them after about four kilometers. So I only had my gravel shoes, which are kind of a nice leather shoe that actually looks like a normal walking around shoe. And they were so amazing for the whole trip. Now, as somebody who has grown up riding the road bike and not the mountain bike, I don't love the feel of mountain bike pedals as much. The platform or the contact point, it's more concentrated. So I'm more inclined to get stuff like hot foot when I'm riding longer distances on the mountain bike pedals. Also, if you're sprinting, they're not as secure. So you're never going to see a track sprinter electing to put mountain bike pedals on. The power they're putting down, when they got to pull up out of the shoe, they're just going to pull that bond completely clear. You know, it's possible to tighten them up a lot, but not as much as road pedals. It's a little bit of a preference thing. I don't think there's a massive amount wrong with riding mountain bike pedals. There used to be more of a faux pas on it. But if you're geeking out on aerodynamics, the stack height is lower on road pedals as well. So they're more aerodynamic than mountain bike pedals are. But there you go. I kind of wondered about this myself. This is a great question. Obviously, you had me started on road pedals, but I do have mountain bike pedals on my gravel bike. And they are a fantastic alternative if you're very nervous about road pedals for a few reasons. I think they're actually easier to clip into. Plus, you can clip in on any side of the pedal. So you're not trying to get the pedal the correct way up before you insert your foot into it. Now, <laughs> I know that... Newbie insights. Is, yeah, I just think that they're a very good option. If you're a leisure rider, you're not going to be putting down sprints or putting down serious pressure. You're probably not going to be too worried about half foot. You're not going to be going out in epic rides like you do four or five hours. I think that they are a fantastic option. Okay, will we move on to tech? Go for it. Okay, so a really quick tech this week. It kind of caught my eye because it, it sounds absolutely disgusting. Now, this is only in my head. It's absolutely, it's totally fine. It's very hygienic. But Stryker have released this new hydration tablet. And it actually exactly mimics the electrolyte profile and ratio of human sweat. Sounds tasty. <laughs> what would it taste like? I don't know, but I sat beside a fella on the bus a few weeks ago and if it tastes anything like he smells, so it wouldn't <laughs> be that appetizing. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. They're using this quite heavily in their marketing information. It's kind of making me feel a bit odd. Like it's like when marketing companies get it wrong. <laughs> Anyway, I just thought it was really interesting. Obviously, the profile is perfect for what we need. But yeah, I, I despair about the whole marketing campaign on it. But yeah, look, they're just like your normal electrolyte tablets. Pop them in the water and there you go. They do come flavored. I think they have the normal lemon and lime, strawberry, etc. I don't think you get BO flavor, but I could be <laughs> corrected on that. So if anyone checks out these Striker tablets, please pop me a message on Twitter and let me know how they go. Well, man, that's it. Another week. I'm back to defending my yellow jersey, looking for a third stage win today. 
Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to be back on proper live format from Monday as the Ross concludes this Sunday. Thanks for tuning in. Sarah's going to be back tomorrow. Until then, ride safe and have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.